0: Welcome to Making the Lemonade with Abby Brown and
1: Lottie Trick. A positive news podcast proving that when life gives you lemons there's always an opportunity to make lemonade. So Lott, how are you?
0: I'm very well, thanks Abigail. How are you doing?
1: Yes, not too bad. How's your week been?
0: My week has been uh, lovely, just navigating this weather which has really just been up and down and all over. This morning, it's a lovely... uh, (laughs) Lovely trip to um, Columbia Road Flower Market Which was, was fab Felt like things were slightly back to normal Obviously con face masks um, So it was slightly different But beautiful Beautiful way to spend a Sunday morning How wow. has your week been?
1: Lovely Depop has taken another step forward Ladies <gasps> and gentlemen So I'm now on it oh I have sold an item <gasps> And I have also purchased an item. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. What's some have... jeans of the day? Oh my goodness, what are they uh, like? Yeah. Like a mom, like kind of mom jean, dark blue. It was all messaging with the person and obviously there's to and fro in and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've also bought some shoes on there. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm, yeah, quite a, quite a deep pop person now. Um... But there's lots of to and froing And obviously everyone like barters the price and stuff Don't they Mm -hmm. And I didn't know really how it works Like do you change it Like how do you change it Mm -hmm. So I had to learn all that But all fine Um, So yeah I just think it's actually a great idea Fantastic I'm so pleased for you Yeah it was great
0: Do you have a blue tick on your account No Please Please get a blue tick on your account (laughs) Is that and a offer? signed goods. Um, I don't know. I think, I feel like I have seen some that are kind of like official shops or. Oh. Oh. I don't think I follow any. Um,
1: but any then slaves. I did think <laughs> what I might start doing, because you know I like the tie dye and I've got loads of tops of tie dye. Oh, I love the, the tie dye and I can sell it. <gasps> but I'm a side hustle. Little side, little side hustle. It might wow. be quite cool.
0: Nice. so to
1: be continued i'll let you know how um the next few weeks on depop go but when i get my shoes because that's the other thing i haven't got my shoes yet but like i've paid them haven't mm-hmm. heard back yet from this guy so i'm like when when did you order them purchase them like
0: five days ago okay shoes can take a little while i've had that before they've yeah. taken me like a week 10 days i think okay. sometimes all
1: right depending on where they're coming patient. from
0: yeah Oh, I'm thrilled, Abigail. That's great news. Yeah.
1: So my first story today is about a vaccine, not the COVID vaccine, but a malaria vaccine. Mm. A recent malaria vaccine has proved to be 77% effective in the earliest trial stages, which could lead to a major breakthrough for the disease. Malaria kills more than 400,000 people per year mainly children in sub-Saharan Africa. Over the years, there's been many vaccines trialled, but never meeting the correct requirements. The most effective one to date is around 55% efficacy in trials on African children. The latest vaccine has been trialled on 450 children in Burkino Faso and had a 12-month follow-up showing high-level efficacy. The next step is to trial around 5,000 children between five months and three years old across four African countries. The trial of this vaccine started in 2019, long before coronavirus appeared. Adrian Hill, director of the Jenner Institute and professor of vaccinology at the University of Oxford, said that because of the strength of research into malaria, this has helped a huge deal into the development of COVID vaccine. The malaria vaccine has taken a lot longer as it's very technical, with it being thousands of genes in malaria compared to a dozen in coronavirus. Halido Tanito, professor in and the principal trial investigator at the clinical research unit of Nananro said we look forward to the upcoming phase three trial to demonstrate large-scale safety and efficacy data for a vaccine that's greatly needed in this region. So great news, the, Fantastic. not only the COVID vaccine but hopefully the malaria vaccine is, is on its way to, to big things.
0: So hopefully this week, my first will be less confusing um, than last week's. Uh, my sister listened to that twice, that episode, and she said she still couldn't make any sense of what I said. So apologies for that, everybody. And <laughs> uh, This one will be clearer, we hope. So Positive.News reports that a retired Dutch couple have become Europe's first inhabitants of a 3D printed house. Um, Elise Lutz and Harry Deckers have um, moved into the boulder shaped bungalow in Endoven at the weekend. They are renting the two bedroom place for uh, equal to £695 per month. A far cry from the winsome, wonky townhouses synonymous with the Netherlands, the squat structure is the world's first habitable 3D printed property with load bearing walls. Proponents of the technology say it could slash building costs, making properties more affordable, as well as reducing the amount of cement used in construction. Cement is responsible for an estimated 8% of the world's CO2 emissions, so really, really significant. Professor Theo Sallet from Endoven University of Technology said the home, one of five planned by the construction firm, said it was a major step towards scaling up 3D printing technology. Digitalization from design to implementation leads to sustainable and affordable homes, tailor-made to the wishes of the resident. So I did do some research into this, and I do think that this probably is contentious because in 2018 there was a headline that suggested that a family in France were the first people to live in a 3D house. But I think there's probably some devil in the detail here that probably it's something to do with the load-bearing aspect. Um, yeah but it's all happened very recently and it's exciting yeah. because it could mean it. Um, great things for the housing crisis that we've seen across many nations but also in terms of reducing the amount of cement is, is great news. It's
1: very clever isn't it? Very clever. Like Have you watched like a video it? of it happen? No I haven't but I think I feel like I need to because it kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Like, I'm just imagining like a proper printer. Like a normal printer, prints out you know what you put on your computer. (laughs) And all of a sudden, we've got a house.
0: (laughs) Just a classic Kodak, just printing out a wall. No, it's like a little, um, like a robe. The one I watched recently was like a robot arm that was almost putting down like foam on layers and layers and layers of foam, which expanded and and hardened. But I think there's probably lots of different versions. But that was one way it was
1: happening very clever so obviously earlier I mentioned about my deep hop moments and buying secondhand clothes I obviously I'm not the only one currently doing this no um, really yeah no I think I'm probably late to the party yeah but <laughs> still you know we're making moves Asda have started doing it so in 50 of their stores across the UK they're starting to sell second-hand clothes. George, Asda's brand, has joined forces with specialist wholesaler, pre-loved Vintage Kilo. They want to encourage customers to take unwanted clothes back to store and the scheme could give a new lease of life to pre-worn clothes. Pre-loved Vintage Managing Director, Steve Linham, said the company had prevented more than 800 tonnes of clothing ending up in landfill, and that, linking Asda, would increase that dramatically. Steve said, the more people that buy into the circular economy and shop vintage and retro, the bigger impact will have on climate change. Along with Asda, Primark and M&S have a recycling scheme, allowing customers to return their items in stores. Plus, upmarket store Selfridges have teamed up with the resale site Vestere's Collective to sell secondhand clothes. And IKEA, another retailer, has announced that they will buy back and sell used furniture. So yeah, everyone seems to be getting on the secondhand clothing train, and I'm here for it, and I love it.
0: Absolutely. In fact, do you remember this jumper which I purchased from that vintage store that went to in Edinburgh?
1: In Edinburgh. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. About
0: time. Highly recommend it. Get into those charity shops, now they're open.
1: Yeah, yeah. Love it. I think it's good as well to see big companies actually getting on board with it as well, because then... It just helps with the process. Accessible, accessible, absolutely, totally great.
0: So, in past episodes, we have spoken about waste being created from face masks and PPE in general during the pandemic. Um, Well, a Cornish-based social enterprise, Waterhall, has decided to uh, take action. It has been recycling ocean plastic into new functional products for two and a half years. And after seeing the amount of face masks on the Cornish coast, they set out to apply their experience to this new plastic problem. Partnering with the NHS, the organisation are flipping the problem on its head by turning waste into the tools needed to tackle this problem. Litter pickers. I don't know why that sentence felt like that was like a hundred words long, but it really did. Um, So how does this work? Using machine on the site at the Royal Cornwall Hospital the masks are melted down into blocks, sterilizing the material. They then purchase this waste material for recycling and transform it into litter pickers. On their Kickstarter page they continue, we know this design is strong, durable and able to withstand the continuous tide of plastic that is washing up on our beaches as we've been producing this design with our recycled fishing net plastic for over a year. Our litter pickers are used by groups such as Surface Against Sewage, Keep Britain Tidy, The Wildlife Trust and Beach Guardian. One of the reasons why plastic has become such a deadly issue is its inability to decompose. As this material is built to last, we know that our litter pickers will be too. By transforming this single-use plastic into equipment that will extract similar waste from the environment, we are creating a circular economy and transforming the problem into the solution. However, when the time eventually comes, all of our products can be returned to us for repair or end-of-life recycling. God, we're all about that
1: circular economy today, aren't we? We are, and my next story is also about it. Oh so, <laughs> we are just non stop about there it There's some diversity of <laughs> stories coming, I promise, but that is fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, following on from your plastic qualms, mm. I've now got edible plastic packaging coming away. Wow. So, This story actually, a little shout out to Alex Baker, who has been listening to our podcast, who is a Loughborough teammate of mine, um, actually shared this one with me. And she said, this would be a good one for your podcast. Yeah. So an alternative to plastic that can be composted and even eaten has won an award for innovation. Dr. Anne Lamp has designed a system to transform agricultural residues into a range of plastics, which in turn can be safely reintegrated into the food supply chain. Lamp has launched a company called Traceless, bringing her passion for a cradle-to-cradle life cycle um, with her engineering background to help cut plastic waste. The process can cut carbon emissions by 87% compared to regular plastic, which is just huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Traceless are able to manufacture using three different types of materials, flexible film, a moldable plast and a sprayable solution. All their hard work has been proven by winning this year's Green Alley Award, which recognises and celebrates startups that successfully demonstrate the potential of the circular economy. So we're at it again, um, but this time able to potentially eat the plastic around like a sweet wrap or something. Which...
0: Right, I was going to say I'm not completely clear. So it's the pa- it's new technology for plastic packaging, and there's three different forms yeah. in which this engineer has kind of designed. Yeah. Okay, oh. fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any um dates about when that would become that become mainstreamed or
1: is it still kind of going through testing? I think it's still going through its testings, but there is a website um for the traceless and there's lots of information on that as well. (laughs) Okay, I'll have a little lousy. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. (laughs) You can subscribe to the newsletter. I almost wanted to say, yeah, ask kind of where I get it from. And I don't know if that's maybe it's still in its early stages. Um, Well, the whole point surely would be that you would be buying a product which would then have it. You wouldn't want to buy it just before that because that would be contradictory to it. Yeah, you wouldn't have anything to wrap. (laughs) (laughs) I looked at it a little bit like cling film, you know, and you get like the beeswax you can get. Mm. But I guess not. I guess, like you said, it's for the like a food or. Well, you'll have to let us know. I'll keep on telling that story. Yeah, I will. I'll let you know.
0: Um, This week, mothers of brides and grooms in England and Wales will now be added to marriage certificates for the first time. Until now, the document... I think I I
1: know your view because you just, the way you said first.
0: (laughs) The document only included the names of fathers of the couple, but a change to the marriage act means both parents will now be included. How revolutionary. The Home Office said the move would correct a historic anomaly, lol. Um, MPs from all parties have spent several years attempting to bring about um, a change in the law to allow both parents to have their names and occupations recorded. The move brings England and Wales into line with the rest of the UK. In Scotland and Northern Ireland, couples are already asked to give the names of both parents on marriage documentation. The same applies for those entering a civil partnership. So, hurrah. Mothers who carry the children for the, you know, nine months, and then in majority of relationships do most of the child rearing, are now being recognised on an official document in 2021.
1: I didn't even realise that they weren't. That's what I just assumed they were.
0: I assumed, well, of
1: course. Why would, surely both parents, kind of. But then there's, do you know what? I've had a few thoughts about this recently, actually. (laughs) Just the whole idea... Of, no, and I obviously don't want to offend anybody, but the whole idea of kind of the man, the father giving away the bride to the man, I mean, it just doesn't sit quite right with me. And I yeah. kind of really thought about it, and I was like, actually, that's a really weird concept if you think about it. Um, kind of the giving away of, I owned you and now you own her kind yeah. of vibe is where I went with it. And actually that's not okay. <laughs>
0: It's very That's archaic, true, but
1: In my opinion. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that is good news that now, obviously, mothers can put their name on the marriage certificate.
0: Yeah, there's a, actually, it's interesting you say it. There's a really interesting article, I think, in The Telegraph. I can't remember where I read it. Um, that said something like, this update's great, but we need to um, kind of overhaul the whole system and really um interrogate marriage from anything from a woman wearing an engagement ring but not a man to kind of prove some kind of ownership to to that giving away process um to just taking the man's name there's a huge amount of patriarchal um traditions still left in um marriage ceremonies and the whole tradition behind it so it's for some people who are looking for more modern uh partnership it's it's interesting isn't it definitely
1: yeah I think also like people but for some people it works which is lovely and and some people want that but I and I I don't know if it's just people want that because that's what's kind of the tradition and you know that's what's always been done and that kind of thing and not really think much into it and so probably only recently I've like actually thought about it like actually is that right is that is that not kind of Mm -hmm. where we're not growing and I think you still need to like grow as a society and stuff so yeah it is an interesting one Absolutely important to interrogate it for sure, hundred percent. But also recognize if it works for you, it works for you. Yeah. So you've gone out and bought loads of new plants today,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they do really add to the room. I have to say, we've gone downstairs, and it is adding to the to the kind of the room. The <laughs> vibe, but vibe is adding to the vibe. Um, Research has shown that sites of an indoor plant can reduce stress and that tending to them helps reduce anxiety and improve your sense of well-being. This room is going to be covered if that's the case, Abs. You're going to see a wall (laughs) Rubbing my face (laughs) in them. Cavell Centre in Peterborough discovered that 83% of study participants reported that tending to indoor plants made them feel less restless, less anxious and had physical, mental and emotional benefits surveyed that more than 4,000 people from around the world found that having a vegetation at home boosted emotional well-being for about 74% of participants within the COVID-19 lockdowns. So, I know it's short and sweet, that story, but basically, get a houseplant. Get a
0: houseplant. All... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, or tending to the garden as well. I think that's always a
1: good one, yeah. getting outside if you have one. 100%. I think people have definitely done more in their gardens within COVID-19 because they haven't been able to get out so that's actually people's true. gardens and stuff are looking better. So Have you been doing maybe. that? Well when I was at home <laughs> dad did let me use the norma. woohoo <laughs> 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 crazy life crazy you life. just drew the short straw because <laughs> he didn't want to do it anymore. I did and Jake and Tash got to do the vegetable plants and all that kind of stuff but I, w- I was there I was present. Yeah you know, that's just, that's, I, was I hear that, that is up. the same yeah
0: So I think you're going to struggle with this story, Abby, as quite a stringent showerer. (laughs) But bear with me here. Bear with me. And you've got
1: quite strong opinions about cleanliness as well. I (laughs) I have. I really have. So if you're telling me I need to not be as clean, I'm not sure I'm going to have a feel about it, but we'll go with it. (laughs) Um,
0: So a recent YouGov survey found that 17% of Britons had abandoned their daily shower habits during the pandemic. So, the New York Times kind of ran with this story and looked into it a little bit deeper in the US. Um, and they spoke to a few Americans who had followed suit, such as Heather Whaley, a writer in Reading, Connecticut. She had said her shower use had fallen by 20% in the past year. After the pandemic forced her into lockdown, Ms. Wiley, 49, said she began thinking about why she was showering every day. She said, Do I need to? Do I want to? the act of taking a shower becomes less a matter of function and more a matter of doing something for myself that I really enjoyed. So interestingly, when looking at the history around showering, um, it seems that daily showers are a fairly new phenomenon. Donna Chad McCarthy, an environmentalist and writer in London who grew up taking weekly baths, said, we had a bath once a week and we washed at the sink the rest of the week under our armpits and our privates and that was it. As he grew older, he showered every day, but after a visit to the Amazon jungle in 1992 revealed the ravages of underdevelopment, Mr McCarthy said he began to reconsider how his daily habits were affecting the environment and his own body. It's not really good to be washing with soap every day. Doctors and health experts have said that daily showers are unnecessary and even counterproductive. Washing with soap every day can strip the skin of its natural oils and can leave it feeling dry though doctors still recommend frequently washing your hands. So some argue this is an environmental issue. An eight-minute shower uses up to 17 gallons of water. 17 gallons. According to the Water Research Fund, running water for even five minutes uses as much energy as running a 60-watt light bulb for 14 hours, according to the Environmental Protection Agency. And frequent washing means going through more plastic bottles and using more soap, which is often made with petroleum or palm oil or those kind of things. I think it's interesting. It's also just making people reflect on why they do these things. I mean,
1: it's not going to stop me from not showering every day because especially with my training, I do, last week there was a day I did shower full time today. Jesus. And I know that seems a lot to some people. I know it does. But shower in the morning wake up feeling good after my first session i need a shower after my second session i need a shower and then because we went in the pool i then had to shower again because obviously i was then all chlorine mm. so and i appreciate that is a lot but i do try and keep it minimum um i do use soaps so maybe don't use soap on every occasion but i don't think i could go to not showering every day that would be i mean those that know me know that that would be a Ask
0: that would be, big. and I think also you're an extreme, so asking an athlete not to yeah. shower every day when you're doing extreme exercise is um, obviously not really uh, doable. Are you, someone who leaves a leaves tap running whilst you're brushing your teeth,
1: no, used to be. I think when I was younger, hold my hands up probably, but then I thought about it, I thought that's ridiculous, yeah, because there's zero point to that. There is no point, Is so one it is of the most count. beyond and things people would do. Like I mentioned about peeing in the shower Ugh. last week or whenever it was, brushing my teeth in the shower. So actually, roundabout way, trying to do it all in one. Yeah, you really are. You're the same with single-handedly. Yeah, I yeah. may say that. So I don't know many people that don't like music, um, <laughs> the way it makes you feel, and the love I have for it. Uh, I know you do as well. Do you know but, anyone who doesn't like music? You know, I <laughs> no, I don't. I actually don't. Everyone loves music. And it's brilliant. And this story isn't just about music. But uh, all the genres. You literally hit in everyone. Everyone's criteria. It will have it covered. Anyway. thank you, for That's that. enough about music rant. <laughs> in Lancashire, Teaching Hospital's NHS Trust is extending trials to medical staff who works during the cr- critical times of COVID to see if it can ease anxiety and stress. There was a test among people with dementia found, and they found an algorithm that prescribed songs based on listeners' personal backgrounds and tastes. This resulted in reductions in heart rate of up to 22%. Therefore, they are also trying to trial um, people who suffer with Alzheimer's. There was about 25 people Um, aged from 60s to their 90s. Dr. Jacqueline Twamley, an academic research and innovation manager, said some people it doesn't affect the heart rate at all but you can see the effect in their facial expressions and in them tapping along. One patient burst out crying. He said the song brought back so many happy memories and they were all happy tears. They're using technology that operates as a musical drip, playing songs to patients and monitoring their heart rates as they listen. An algorithm then allows the software, which is linked to a streaming service, service like Spotify, to change forthcoming tracks. Technology aims to build on research showing the effectiveness of using music to change chronic pain and on managing anxiety and depression in dementia patients. So, again, Dick's at it wow. again. Wow. So, I think it's brilliant. Like, actually, you hear something that brings back so many memories. That must be so lovely. Um, mm. And the fact that Like technology can do that is also super impressive
0: absolutely and it's so I think it's um on like a day-to-day level I think the only way we can probably understand that kind of emotional response is do you find that when you listen to like a certain song it reminds you of that particular day or time or relationship with someone or friendship with someone or night out and it's like really takes you back there which may be a good thing yeah or a bad thing um but it, it is, it's fundamental, it's ingrained, and um, that's, that's fantastic that they're able to use creative methods to try to cause effect. Okay, so I'm quite excited about this story because I'm currently reading a book about train travel around the world because I'm 65. I also recently watched... Um, program about paddington station for about an I'm hour perfect.
1: so i'm but you're gonna just diving into
0: like... <laughs> yeah, into yeah actually good film still would watch that um yeah, it's really good film i'm diving into my kind of retire retiree hood early doors so cat jones left her job in the middle of a pandemic to start a new type of travel agency one that organizes flight free holidays promoting the virtues of slow travel Byway described as creating travel and accommodation packages away from traditional tourist trails using trains, bikes, buses and ferries. Personalised support from their team via WhatsApp before and during the holiday. That means that they can tweak the trip for you right up to the last minute and even while they're away. So as well as reviving a bygone way of seeing the world, Jones hopes to capitalise on the modern movement to reduce flying to save the planet. Its launch comes as Europe revives old sleeper trains to provide a more sustainable alternative to flying. Six months on, does she still think it was a good idea? Surprisingly, yes, um, says Jones, who is hiring due to rising demand. Most people are booking through Byway, have a sustainable motivation, um, but some don't. They just want to go on an overland holiday and for someone to book it for them. So I can already see my parents looking this up. Yeah. Real just the exact same. <laughs> real <laughs> lovely, fantastic way. And this book that I'm reading just describes um landscapes and the joy of travelling by train really well. I actually probably wouldn't want to do it at this point. I think I would get a bit stir crazy, but I think maybe when you're a bit older when
1: that's um an attractive way to travel, I think it'd be fantastic. Harry Potter vibe going on, if I'm honest. <laughs> Harry Potter vibe. Okay. <laughs> that's where I went. <laughs> you know they look out the window and there's all the landscapes Mm, mm, absolutely I think in some places yeah so that is it for episode 9 we hope you have enjoyed our stories again hopefully you haven't got any lost with any scientific Mm. stories (laughs) this week (laughs) and you've stayed with us from the week before and not given up sorry about that everyone sorry about that (laughs) <laughs> um, and yeah we hope you guys are all doing well and enjoying the positivity that we are trying to bring to you
0: yes uh, we hope you enjoyed this is going to be our penultimate episode of the season right Abby um, so it season episode 10 will be the last episode of the season and then we'll be picking up again after uh, the summer which we're really excited about we're going to maybe incorporate um, a couple of new elements so yeah thank you so much for listening up to this point and we really look forward to speaking to you in episode 10 maybe i'll have a little bit of a blooper reel that just might be quite hard to do because it's quite a lot of swearing to cut out but apart from
1: that
0: so uh, if you want to learn any more about the stories they'll be in the show notes um yeah but we will speak to you very soon see you later bye